Hi, I'm Sibley Fleming, host of Hometown Yoga, the podcast where everyday teachers and students have conversations of insight and hope. In today's episode, we'll talk to Atlanta yoga teacher Stephanie German about yoga safety. Welcome, Stephanie. Hi, Sibley. Thanks for having me. I, I love your classes because they're powerful, yet very intentional and safe. But I also know that's because you suffered a pretty serious injury mm -hmm. at one point. Would you mind self-introducing yourself to listeners and tell us how long you've been teaching and practicing yoga? Sure, yeah. So my yoga journey, I guess you could say, started when I moved to Atlanta about six years ago. Um, I had sort of dabbled in yoga before, but... Um, not really, not a whole lot. And so a friend that I worked with had a group on for a yoga studio that's no longer with us um, called Hotlanta Yoga. It was a great vinyasa flow studio. And so I went with her, not really sure what to expect. And at this time, I didn't have a smartphone. I didn't have Instagram. So maybe if I had, I would have had a different idea of what yoga was. If you see Instagram now, you think of yoga maybe as um, fancy shapes you make with your body. But what I knew of yoga at that time was a very spiritual practice and people I knew who were yogis were very um, zen and did a lot of meditation. So I didn't really know what to expect and I went more for spiritual practice and not necessarily for the physical benefits. So I went to class. That's unusual. Yeah, it is, it is. And it, you know, it's, my path has evolved a lot, but I went to the first class, which was very, um, athletic, actually that was the name of the class, I think it was Athletic Power Flow. And similar to maybe a lot of people's yoga journeys, the first Shavasana I had at the end of class, I laid there thinking like, oh my God, this is so amazing and this is going to be part of my life now. And it was, so I, I started a daily practice pretty much like right after the first class. <laughs> oh, wow, wow. Yeah, and then, um, and, and it was, you know, transformational in a lot of ways, but very physical and very um, egocentric at the beginning, a lot about the acquisition of poses, like, like a lot of people that begin yoga. And um, shortly before I started a yoga teacher training, two years later, I began practicing Ashtanga yoga. And Ashtanga yoga, um, for people that don't know, is a series of poses that are the same every time. And I really enjoyed that because not having a lot of knowledge about how to structure my own class at home, I could just buy a book. I, I took like a handful of Ashtanga classes. And then I bought a book and I started practicing Ashtanga yoga without the guide of an experienced teacher mm -hmm. at my house. And the book was a really good book actually. It offered um, different variations for the poses, but me being in this egocentric um, phase of my yoga practice, decided to um, kind of ignore what I thought were beginner or inferior variations of the pose and, oh. you know, really like pulled my body into positions that it wasn't ready for. Can you give us an example of one of the poses that you did, maybe you regret now? Sure. Um, I guess one example might be a standing hand to foot pose where you're balancing on one leg and extending the other leg forward and wrapping your fingers around your toes. So if I would practice that now, I would probably use a strap, even though my flexibility is um, greater than when I started practicing yoga. 
And I'm not saying that pose is the reason that um, I injured my body, but you know, I'm curious about it. So poses like that and other poses that I pulled myself into without the use of props or without the use of um, variation while I was new could possibly be the reason that my pelvis began to come out of alignment and my sacroiliac joints um, were, were triggered. So your sacroiliac joint, for people that don't know, is uh, you have two of them, they connect your sacrum, the base of your spine, to each of your hips. Um, and it's actually a, not an uncommon problem for people who practice yoga, mm -hmm. um, especially for women. Yeah. Really? So what, how did, uh, like, uh, you threw it out of whack and how did that feel in your body and what did that mean for, for your, your body? Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting because I had been a runner for my whole adult life and practiced other types of movement and never been injured. So when I started feeling pain in my low back, it was really new to me and I didn't know what it was. I thought or I assumed I just need to stretch. It's just muscle soreness. And now I know that in this specific case, stretching was really counterintuitive and maybe even exacerbated the problem. So I ignored it, ignored it, ignored it. And then I was in a class here at Nirvana where I was ignoring it. <laughs> And I was in a standing forward fold coming out of warrior three. And I had this moment where it was like, oh my gosh, I can't move, you know? Yeah. And I went yeah. into child's pose for the rest of the class. And, um, and I had trouble comfortably walking or sitting after that for a while. And uh, it was really devastating. And eventually I went to a chiropractor that helped me on the path to healing. So, I mean, I'm still exploring, um, why it happened and how to avoid it and I don't want this to be scary to people but I think you know it's important to know that that this can happen it happened to me so how did it change you how did um, having this injury change how you approached your practice yeah well one of the things um, that it did was challenge me to explore the other really important pieces of yoga. So a lot of us maybe look at yoga as this physical practice um, and you know the asanas, the, the yoga poses is just one branch um, in the massive tree of yoga. So while I couldn't move my body very much, I spent a lot of time meditating and practicing pranayama, breath work, and um, yoga lifestyle, things like that. And then when I did begin to practice what resembled more of a regular asana practice, it was very focused on how I can stabilize the pelvis by strengthening the glutes and the hips um, and stuff like that. And also I avoided poses that didn't seem to have a functional purpose. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you ask yourself, I don't want to name a pose or vilify any poses, but probably anyone listening can think of a pose where they're like, what would Chaturanga. be? Chaturanga. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can think of purposes maybe for Chaturanga. It's strength building. But yeah. you know, one, and I don't think this pose is a bad pose or a bad thing to do, but in my body, I would never try to put my foot behind my head because mm. what would be the purpose? You know, it would stretch my hip, but can I stretch my hip in other ways that have um, a lower risk of 
of injury or you know hypermobility? Probably. Talk about. Um, can you talk about ego and how that plays into injury? Yeah, definitely. I think that anytime you practice from a place of ego, it's almost like you're treating yoga as if it were a sport. And if you treat yoga as if it's a sport, you're inviting in the potential for injury to happen. Um, so, I mean, when you practice yoga from a place of ego and your practice is based on the acquisition of a certain pose, you really draw yourself away from the essence of yoga, right? And the essence of yoga is connection with spirit and also um, the elimination of self-inflicted suffering in our lives. And so if you're, practice, if you're practicing yoga, it's about moving away from suffering. So why would we practice in a way that is hurtful, you oh, know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you do hear some um, teachers say things like, um, instead of the full expression of the pose, they'll say this is the most advanced. If you're an advanced yogi, you know, you'll do forearm handstand or you know, what whatever advanced um, bird of paradise. Um, that's the most advanced expression, advanced expression of the pose. And right there it says, I'm not a very advanced yogi if I can't put my head over my shoulder. Yeah, totally. Um, that's a common misconception. <laughs> you know, because uh, advanced yoga to me is doing anything with um, like mindfulness, you know? So if you are practicing shavasana, and you're doing it with joy and you're in the present moment, I would say that's advanced yoga. You know, it doesn't matter what you do. And the fullest expression of the pose is also a funny term. I think that the full expression of the pose is dependent on the body doing it. Uh, so, uh -huh. you know? Yeah. 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 So, um, now we've been talking about chaturanga and and i'll just share that's my injury spot oh really okay yeah <laughs> for chaturanga um the um but what are the parts the body parts that are most susceptible to injury in yoga okay well that's it you know a question i'm i can't be sure of and it also depends on like what is the state of your body when you come to yoga? Do you have like pre-existing you know, conditions or injuries? Um, I do know that in a vinyasa flow class, people tend to not necessarily injure, but will feel soreness um, in their shoulders if they practice a lot of chaturanga. Um, also, low back, and specifically, I think, sacroiliac um, joint discomfort happens too. Um, and another thing that maybe is common is wrist soreness. And, you know, if I want to talk about that for a minute, that makes sense to me because we don't spend a lot of time on our wrists. Like our, if you think about it um, functionally, again, coming back to that word, the wrists weren't made to bear weight, right? Mm. The, the, the hips and the feet were where we're supposed to be bearing weight. 
Um, that's not to say that putting weight on the wrists, I think, is wrong or unsafe. We do it all the time in yoga. I think it's healthy. Um, but if you are experiencing soreness in your wrists when you practice, your body will adapt to the load um, progressively. So progressive load is how um, your body will adapt. And, and your, your bones and your tissues will change over time. Okay, so interesting, interesting. Yeah, and progressive load, though, progressive. <laughs> <laughs> so start in a true beginner's class and live to fight another day. Yeah, and some people don't have any wrist, you know, issues at all in yoga. Sometimes I do, but there are plenty of ways that you can um, add variety to your practice so that you're not on your wrists as much as you're building strength there. And one of the ways you can do that is by coming down to your forearms in your plank pose or even your down dog or in plank, some people I've seen um, make fists and balance their arms on their fists or you know, press their fists into the mat in their plank pose, and that seems to help too. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you can do other things off the mat that you can, you can research and look up things that build strength in like the tissues around the wrists, like the forearms and the fingers and the hands. What about the knees? Uh, you always hear, you always meet people who say, oh, I have this old, whatever football knee injury or whatever you know uh, what kind of a joint uh, is the knee i guess why did why is it injury prone why are our knees prone to injury you know that's the knees are a piece of anatomy that i haven't learned a lot about yet so i'm not exactly sure in my experience teaching which is still you know relatively young like three years um, I haven't seen a lot of students come to yoga that acquired the knee injury in yoga. It's usually something that was like pre-existing and yoga seems to help them actually. Oh, uh -huh. yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. But the, the sacroiliac joint, the, the, the shoulders, oh, and neck. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know if yoga necessarily, um, for most people has contributed to the neck pain. I think sometimes that's the thing that students come to and that's like a pre-existing condition they have and yoga seems to help it. Is uh, there a modification for every pose and is there a point where I should just hang it up and go to my physical therapist <laughs> and say, you know, what should I be doing? Yeah. Well, I hesitate to use the word modification too. I like to use the word variation because when you say modification, for some people that implies like it's that way is less than or, you know, so variation I like to use. Um, and I think, yeah, there should be, there should be a variation for everything. And if you look at the pose and you evaluate like, well, what is the point of this pose right now? Like what body part am I targeting here? Um, then you'll find a way to target that in a different, you know, in a different way. So, you know, for example, um, you might be a person that is practicing yoga by sitting in a chair. So you might practice your version of Cobra Pose by sitting with an erect spine, placing your palms in front of you and drawing the elbows back and then lifting the chest up and leaning back and finding that space in front of the chest just while sitting you know that's your version that's your variation of like a cobra pose yeah so any pose i think you you should be able to adapt 
Okay. So um, as long as you're finding the, the intended stretch, you're doing yoga. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's no, so that is the full expression of the pose in your body. Yeah, yeah. a little bit about repetitive motion and how our bodies process that maybe even how we process that off the yoga mat sure well I think in terms of yoga repetitive motion relates to injury when it comes to um, I mean I hesitate to use the word alignment right now because there's this interesting and and um, powerful movement happening in the yoga world right now where we're reevaluating the alignment cues that we've been you know telling students and are they necessary and are they true and I think that's really cool so um, but even saying that so if you're practicing something over and over again but maybe in poor alignment because you're not quite strong enough yet or flexible enough to do that thing over time that will create distress in the body and one example i can think of is chaturanga so let's say you go to a flow class just occasionally where you're practicing chaturanga and your triceps and your pecs are still not strong enough to do that with what we might quote call good alignment doing it like once occasionally or um, maybe won't cause your shoulders any suffering but if you are doing that thing over and over again in a sloppy way, I, you could say, um, or without enough strength, that will create stress in the body. And I know for myself, I've had like times when I practice a lot of chaturanga and I'm like, my right shoulder feels a little bit sore, you know? So, yeah. So, and, and, and so how does um, uh, that, and can you take that to life out, outside of your mat, just repetitive um, motions? I mean, maybe there's not a benefit to repetitive motions. I mean, I guess it's with all questions when it comes to like safety and yoga, the answer is like, it depends, you know, because I'm also a runner and that's a repetitive motion that I do several times a week. Not, you know, in what I would consider an extreme way, I run like three miles, it's not, not long, but I've never had an injury from running, but there are people that that repetitive motion of running has caused like stress in their knee or stress, you know, elsewhere, maybe in their back. So it really depends. And I guess I don't, I don't know the answer. I'm still learning. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, great, great. What now, um, what does it mean um, when a yoga teacher uh, says, listen to your body? Mm -hmm. what, does, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> yeah, so one of the benefits of yoga is that it creates a lot of body awareness. You know, you learn um, what it feels like to live in your body. You learn where there are imbalances, um, and you can take that knowledge in your yoga practice and decide to listen to your body or listen to the, the ego, you know, what your mind is telling you. So if we want to come back to this idea of practicing like several chaturangas in a row and your shoulders start to ache and you feel like my body, if I'm listening, my body is telling me 
I'm tired, maybe I'll put my knees down next time, or maybe I'll skip that vinyasa and come to a downward dog. So I can listen to my body and do that, or I can listen to my ego, which sometimes is the right choice, maybe not in this case, and I can keep powering through. And then there's like a discernment that needs to happen, right? So it's like, when do I listen to my ego? When do I listen to my body? I think sometimes we only know until after when we feel like pain or we feel really good when we push through and, and the ego prevailed so uh, you know uh -huh. now if I go to a power yoga class should I come away feeling all achy head to toe like if I had done a, a big you know uh, gym workout. I don't work out at the gym, if anybody can tell. I don't, <laughs> whatever. I just have this image of weights and things. No, so, you but, look really strong, though. I wouldn't say you don't look like you work out. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, thank you. But, but I mean, like, how uh, should I feel like you after, like, a power yoga class? Does that mean that it, yoga is doing its work if I come away with aches and pains? Well, I mean, that depends, too. What's the purpose of going to yoga for you? If you're going to yoga for, like, mental clarity or, you know, peace of mind, then you don't need to evaluate the effectiveness based on how your body is feeling. If you're going to yoga to build strength, maybe feeling a little bit tired or sore is helpful or is like the desired result, you know? But mm -hmm. I don't think, um, in my opinion, that it should ever hurt. It should never hurt. And there is a difference between like pain and discomfort. So if you're holding a forearm plank pose and you're like, oh, my shoulders, my core, everything is like really sore, but you power through, um, that maybe is uncomfortable but I wouldn't label it as bad, you know? If you're in a, some type of hip stretch and your knee has um, a, a feeling of discomfort, but it's like sharp, you know, that would be, to me, unsafe. Feelings like sharp. Sharp pain. So, uh, obviously it's great to introduce yoga to people who've never experienced yoga of all ages for just so many benefits, the spirit, the full practice of yoga, as you say, but, um, you know, um, balance for older um, people, um, well, balance for everybody. Um, not every new student comes from the same place because we're all ages, you know, we just come from different backgrounds. Um, what are some of the safety tips you would that maybe you can offer to brand new yoga students who've never tried it, uh, guys who <laughs> you know um, who uh, think it's for uh, something for ballerinas or, or you know weird contorted circus pretzel poses, mm -hmm. which is a common common misperception mm -hmm. conception misconception about yoga. Yeah, so uh, tips for beginners. Um, I would definitely say go to a beginner class. You know, I didn't. I kind of, I wish I would have. Um, you can learn a lot and build a strong foundation in a beginner's class, in a good beginner's class. And I think that's really important. Um, there are classes labeled all levels. I've taught them. I've gone to them. I don't necessarily think all of them are all levels. <laughs> um, yeah, so I would build a foundation. And another thing is, ask questions. So you go to a class and the teacher says something, you're doing bridge pose and the teacher's like, engage your glutes or release your glutes. I've heard both. 
um, and you're wondering like why, then ask, you know? And the same goes for teachers. Ask yourself, I implore you to ask yourself, what does this alignment cue mean? What is the purpose? And if I don't know, then maybe I should evaluate that before continuing to say it. How has um, yoga changed your life personally? Who were you before you started your practice and who are you now? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I would say, well, in huge ways <laughs> that are really personal, but I can share that definitely greater, greater peace of mind and just awareness of um, not only my body, but, you know, meditation teaches us all kinds of things as well. And um, in my personal practice right now, I'm doing a lot of like um, healing and healing um, maybe habits or patterns that show up that are not helpful for me. And I won't specifically, I don't feel comfortable specifically talking yeah, about yeah. Um, everything, but um, yeah, it, yoga is a way that you become aware of things in your life. And from a place of love and compassion, you can identify those and then um, move forwards and grow into a place, you know, that's healthier. And definitely yoga has helped me be more loving and compassionate. Your daily yoga practice look like? Do you get up at 4 a.m. and drink hot lemon water? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, so not exactly, but kind of, yes. <laughs> so I get up at 6 a.m. I'm not a morning person at all. Um, I'm trying to be, every day I'm trying to be. So this is actually like a big feat for me to be able to get up at 6 a.m. And I, Ayurveda, which is the sister science to yoga, Ayurveda is like a holistic um, preventative medicine. And that's just a very brief description of what it is. But so I have a lot of Ayurvedic rituals that I do in the morning, including like scraping my tongue and swishing coconut oil. And then I drink hot lemon water and following that, take my dog for a walk. And then I do a 20 minute meditation with some breath work. And later in the day, I'll practice asanas and not even every day, but my, my asana practice now maybe resembles more of like a cross between yoga asana and Pilates, just because that feels best for my body. And I would also consider running part of my yoga practice. I think it's very meditative. And um, I practice pranayama while I'm running. So, mm -hmm. so pranayama, breathing, and asana, the physical um, poses. So how does um, pranayama inform um, safety in your practice? How do you use that to stay safe in your practice? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, Right now, because I just practice in a really careful way, I don't need to rely on my breath necessarily to tell me if something um, feels safe or not. But I think in general, what, what teachers do is tell students if it's, if you can't breathe in this pose right now, then back out a little bit. That's what I've heard, yeah. <laughs> and, and so if you can't breathe, you're stopping the flow of energy 
in some way. If yeah, you're just yeah. Holding your breath in your tense, I can see how that might cause inner, in, injury. Yeah, and if if your breath is considered your prana, your life force, then you know the breath must flow, the spice must flow. You know, Dune, <laughs> the book Dune. <laughs> right. Breath must flow. <laughs> right. Yes. Breath. Breath must flow. Well, I guess I have one final thing that I would like to add. Yeah. Yeah. So we didn't really talk so much about alignment. Um, other than that, it's very, it's like changing right now where everyone's questioning like what it means and is, is, are these cues even valid anymore? Let's explore that. And so that is something that's happening and that I think we should continue discussing and being curious about. And uh, for people that want to learn more, I think it's worth checking out. Um, there's a, a yogi named Alexandria Crow, and she's on Instagram, and she asks all kinds of important questions about yoga in, in our bodies. And another is Jules Mitchell, and she recently wrote this amazing book that I'm um, reading or just read called Yoga Biomechanics. Mm-hmm. And it's really scientific and super heady and very informative and I totally recommend it and she doesn't she doesn't tell you what to believe she just leaves you with like science and then invites you to think critically and make up your own mind about the way we move in yoga based on what science says and it's really wonderful yeah oh that's awesome okay one one more question What's a pose that you recommend for anybody who's never even tried yoga before? What's a pose you could say to that and, and they may at least have an introduction if they don't fall in love with yoga? Um, I, I think cat-cow. Yeah, cat-cow is really important to me. I, it, you know, moving the spine is always good and that moves the spine in a way that is really gentle. It moves energy. Um, yeah, I think it's also... You can do cat-cow whether or not you can get down on your hands and your knees. You can do it standing. You can do it sitting in a chair. And mm-hmm. so can you just describe the pose um, for anybody maybe who hasn't been to yoga? Sure. So it's just um, a, a combination of flexing and extending the spine. So the traditional way that you would practice it is on your hands and your knees. And moving with the breath, you would inhale to lower your belly like a hammock lifting your chin and your tail, and then on the exhale, rounding the spine and tucking the chin and the tail, arcing the spine like a cat. So moving with the breath, you would inhale to hammock the belly and exhale again to arc the spine. And you can do that for as long as you want, really. Okay, oh, that's so awesome. Thank you, thank you. Well, one of my favorite things you ever said to me was after you first started teaching yoga and I was the only student in one of your classes, and I did a chaturanga, and uh, which was incredibly <laughs> challenging. Keeps coming back to chaturanga. <laughs> t- no, you said, "Ah, oh, you're a badass yogi warrior," <laughs> and um, I—I I mean, I totally felt like a badass yogi uh, warrior in chaturanga, and I love that. And I still use that to encourage myself when something is difficult or someone else. So. 
Um, Stephanie, you're a badass yogi warrior. <laughs> Thank you for um, joining us uh, for the first podcast. Yeah, thanks, Sibley, the badass, and me, she's the badass. <laughs> <laughs> Namaste. <laughs> Namaste. <laughs> <laughs>